Good morning. It is a joy to be up in front of you again, bringing you God's Word today. And my prayers, you'll leave inspired and excited to be an active Christian in your family and in your community. Amen. Look around you at this building. I want you to notice how the structure is. It all rests on four poles. Do you see that? There's two columns here, poles, and two in the back. There's four. And then there's these two great big trusses. Do you know why this building is built this way? Have you ever been in a church like this? Do you know why it's built this way? When two or three lay leaders and I met with the architect who had never drawn a church, but he was an Episcopalian, he still is, he had never drawn a church. When we met with him to express the kind of the basic things that we were looking for and what we believed and what we taught, he came back about, oh, I don't know, two months later with a basic drawing like you see here. And he, he said, I want the structure that holds the building together to be visible because when you guys talk, your theology is in our face and it's very visible. It's not hidden. And he said, I want the building to reflect the preaching that will happen in that room. I'm not that artistic, but isn't that awesome? Now I hope whenever you see this structure, you'll think of that. But let me just use the building for a moment to drive home four very important points for you. By the way, Bryant, I've changed the introduction. Can you tell? He's following along for the slides. So just hang tight. I'll tell you when to push to the next one. This column for a moment represents that God is holy and he, and he expects us to be holy too. We're made in his image. God cannot be selfish and he cannot sin and he expects us to be holy that pole column back there represents that God's holy will is very clear it's not a mystery you can call it love the Lord your God with all your heart soul and mind love your neighbor as yourself or the ten commandments which can be filed under those two right love God and love your neighbor don't sin don't steal don't kill sexual purity only for marriage God's holy will that poll represents that there is not a person on planet earth that hasn't fallen short of keeping God's will. It's a truth. It's in your face. We are sinners. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. And this poll represents God's fourth and final and greatest truth is that he sent Jesus to rescue pitiful people like us by living perfectly according to his holy law being holy like his father and taking all of our sins away and we put our hope in him and he's at the center focal point where he died on the cross. We are safe and saved. The building is built on the clear truths. Holy, clear law. We have fallen short. Clear gospel. Do you believe that? Well, come on. Do you believe that? Yes. All right, you're so Lutheran, okay? You heard a Lutheran bluegrass song. Just say, you know what, you're, what you say when you, when, in the Bible when you want to say that is true? What's the word in the Bible that says that is true? It's, it means that is true. Ah, there you go. So you believe it, amen. It's true, okay? You're not any better because you said it, but you're better for me if you say it because it fits my sermon and I'll move on. You believe those things, don't you? Amen. Amen. 
Do you want other people to believe it too? Yes, you do. Or else they will not be safe or saved. They will not. There is an urgency that outside of these church buildings where we all trust in this gospel, we get that message out. And people don't come to church that don't know or don't care. We have to go to them. And there's a guy in the New Testament that outside of Jesus went to people, new people, the mostest. Remember who it was? Paul, the apostle. And in, in just the part that's in the Bible, and it's not, it doesn't record his whole ministry, he went on three long journeys in a day when it wasn't safe to travel and you had to travel slow. You either got on a ship or you walked, pretty much. And he went talking about God and Jesus Christ, and he started churches. Most miraculous things happened. He was even wowed by it. He would go to town, he'd start at the synagogue and tell them their Savior had come, the Jews, and then he would start go to the Gentiles and tell them the Savior that the Jews have always looked forward to has come for all people, and people would believe him. They would say, we feel clean and forgiven and loved and we, f- we don't like our pagan religion anymore. And their lives was cha- were changed and they'd pull out of families and they'd want to know more. But the problems that Paul had often were that the Jewish leaders of the synagogues that did not believe him would try to kill him or run him out of town everywhere he went. When he was in Thessalonica... They only let him preach for three Saturdays. And then they started stoning him on the third Saturday, and he ran for his life down to Berea. And he talked to those folks until the guys from Thessalonica, because Berea wasn't that far, heard that he hadn't gone very far, and they wanted him further. And so they ran down to Berea and started stirring them up to stone him. So he went down to Athens, which was mostly pagan, and he had the great Mars Hill sermon there. And then in Athens... things got stirred up, so he went down to Corinth, Greece. And there, he was opposed, but it wasn't quite so heated, and he got to stay for a while until they booted him out of the synagogue, and they stoned the synagogue ruler who had come to faith in him. They didn't stone him. They beat him. They flogged him. And so Paul went next door to a lecture hall because the pagans just wanted their money. They didn't care, and he rented the hall, and he talked about Jesus. And he was there for about... 18 months to two years while he was there the Thessalonian Christians this little group that's being persecuted because they've left their families for Jesus because their families didn't want them in the family if they believed in Jesus they are suffering but they also want to know some answers to their questions because they believe see Paul said the four things Jesus died on the cross he said he's coming back to judge the world well that hung in their heads and their hearts and they had a lot of questions like If you die before he comes back, did you miss the train? And so in 1 Thessalonians, when he writes this letter and he sends it up there with Timothy, he says, uh, no, you didn't miss the train. Your soul goes to heaven as soon as you die and it comes back with the Lord when he comes back and we all will meet the Lord in the air. Remember that? And then he says, encourage each other with these words. But then they've got other questions, right? Like, if Jesus is coming back soon... Should we quit our vocations, quit our jobs, and should we just talk about God and wait? And that was kind of fun for the ones that were lazy because they could just say, God told me to wait. And Paul writes back, no. At the end of the second letter, he says, if any would not work, neither should he eat. Use that one to get your kids to do their chores before dinner. right? 
So, so Paul is writing two letters to them when we read them in the Bible, telling them about how to live knowing that Jesus is coming back. And he tells them some things today in a little section I bet you've forgotten about or you've never read about Jesus coming back in the way that you should live. He never says Jesus is coming back here because it's in the book all around it. But he says this is how you should live since he's coming back soon. And it's stuff they didn't ask for. Isn't that the way Jesus and his preachers do? You ask your questions and then he says, well, this is what you should have asked. And this is what Paul says. You see, we're finally to the slide, Bryant. Stay plugged in. Christians who believe in Jesus and say amen will unplug. Frankly, I could tell you that I feel like half of my ministerial life is spent trying to chase you and plug you back in. We just unplug because we're sinners, right? And we drift. And you see Jesus doing that with the 12, running after them because they're always unplugging, right? It's just part of our struggle. So Paul writes, stay plugged in. And I see in these passages three ways he says it. Stay plugged in by praying and supporting the gospel ministry, praying for the spread of the word. Stay plugged in by not losing faith that God will protect you when hard times come for this gospel work and this life you live. So praying and trusting and then persevering, staying at it, your task of living out your Christian life no matter what problems come because that's what Jesus did and does through you. So praying, trusting, and persevering. Hey, we didn't even read the text. You can go to lunch. No, I want to show you about it. Okay, so go to the first paragraph there, Brian. Skip that next slide. Go to the next one. Let's read this out loud together. No, go back one. Let's read this, this verse out loud. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. Okay, we went through the four columns and we said, amen, that's honoring the Bible. You could have gone a lot of places today, but you came here for this hour. That's honoring God's word. You trust in Jesus as your savior rather than yourself and your goodness. That's honoring the word. Paul says, pray that other people would hear it and honor it. Pray for the spread of the word. I don't understand the logic of what I'm about to say, but I believe it with all my heart. Just like the Trinity is illogical, that there's a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but there's one God, that's not logical, but we believe it, God promises that He will not spread the Word without us. Us is the Christian church, but we be the Christians that are right here right now. He will not spread the word without Christians. He won't. You look at that passage, and, and there's something fascinating about this. Paul is preaching, inspired by God, writing, and he is not saying, Oh, I wish the word would spread, so say a prayer, so maybe it'll spread more. He's saying, God will spread it more if you will pray for it to be spread more. 
Jesus said the same thing in Matthew's gospel when he's walking around. He said, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out more laborers in the harvest field. Jesus isn't going, I, I, please talk to my daddy about this and get more workers. There's so many needs out there. We just hope he might listen. Something about God and what he does is he says, I'm not going to spread the word without you redeem people. I'm going to spread it with you. So pray about it. Pray for the spread of the word. Now I'm just going to admit something for churches in general. We talk a lot about you giving your time, talent, and treasure, and treasure, and treasure, because we need money to keep the lights on and pay the preacher if he's not going to do another job and send out missionaries, right? But we don't talk enough about the fact that if you pray, trusting that he's listening, that he'll spread the word more. And he's waiting on you. He wants you to make that a top priority. Now, we pray at our house. And we have to consciously try to remember to put that in our prayers because if we don't consciously remember to put that in our prayers, our prayers go like this, if they're not rote prayers. Keep us safe. Keep our relationships healthy. Give us enough money. Keep us healthy. Keep us safe. Keep our relationships healthy. And we give me this, give me that, take care of this, take care of that. God, spread your word. He wants you sitting and waiting like you do for the sun to rise or to see that beautiful 68-year moon. He wants you to look for His gospel to spread and pray ardently that it does and watch with an excited heart when it does. He doesn't want you thinking, oh, no, that's just a wish of Jesus and of Paul. No, that's a, that's a, a promise filled with a command to pray. God doesn't spread it without us. So here's what I'm asking. Would you start making that a priority that God's word would spread more? through churches and Christians everywhere, also through this church, because we need your prayers that God's Word would spread more. The bridge is out. We can't even get people to drive by here. But we want God's Word to spread. Pray for it to spread and all of our efforts to work. We had a trunk or treat. 250 people, Pastor Dan, came through, 300 we gathered 75 names to come back to our Bethlehem event. Pastor Dan is, and a few people are going out to try to reach the people that gave us their information. Just ask him. He'll show you where they live on the map. He's got information about them. Pray that that is spreading the good news, that those people will, will have time in their house or their doorstep to tell them about the four big truths. Because without it, you cannot go to heaven, and judgment day is coming. Pray that it spreads. Um, I'm going to sing the song of an unsung hero, Christy Franklin, our sister in the faith, who was found by our resident pastor who started our church, Jim Radloff, many years ago in the neighborhood preaching the gospel. She's blind. And earthly speaking, she's poor. But she's a prayer warrior for the spread of the word and prays for the word to spread and prays for pastors that she knows is spreading the word. And when she gets to heaven and we get there too, God's going to say to us all, I did this in Grenada or Austin or Liberty Hill or anywhere else because Christy Franklin said a prayer.
Now, the work is intimidating because there are folks that don't want the work to go on. Some of them don't even know yet that they don't want it to go on until the gospel plucks one of their family members out of their dysfunctional family and suddenly they become a Jesus person. And then they go, wait a minute, you're acting weird. Don't be one of those Bible-thumping Jesus freaks. People resist the gospel and they make life harder for Christians all over the world. Sometimes it's really bad persecution. Sometimes it's just social family pressure and it's got all kinds of colors and faces. Paul in Corinth, I already told you, had Jews who ran him out of the synagogue like they had the other synagogues and now beat up and flogged. They flogged the synagogue ruler in Corinth and he writes to the Thessalonians this next paragraph, Brian. So skip over the next point and go to the paragraph. Or look at your bulletin. Okay, Flip forward two, two slides. No, back, I'm sorry. I'm just There you go. No, go back two more. There it is. Let's all read that together. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith. But the Lord is faithful, and He will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. Hey, the first verse is about praying for Paul to be protected. The second verse is God's faithful, and He'll protect you. You know what's going on there? They got the Jews, they're Christian Jews themselves, but they got the Jews in Thessalonica breathing down their necks. Paul's got them breathing down his neck in Corinth. And he says, we got wicked and evil men that are trying to stop me from preaching the word here in Corinth. Pray for our protection, because they could kill us. Jason, the guy that I told you about, he got beat up already. So he says, pray for us. Then he goes, God's faithful, though. I don't want you to worry like he won't take care of us, but talk to him about this. But he'll protect you from the evil one and all of his plans up there, too. So I don't want you to get worried because I'm praying that I'm worried. Just ask God to bless us in our efforts by protecting us. And here's what I think we boil down from this. Yes, the church will always have problems. We have a saying about the church on this side of glory. We call it the church militant. Because we're in a war. And everything we do, will ultimately there'll be something that's working against it. It'll always be that way. Now I'm going to talk like an old man here. Not that I haven't already been. But in the first 10 years of ministry, it's rather interesting to watch young pastors who thought everyone was going to say wonderful things about everything they ever did go through the astonishment phase of having resistance and problems and difficulties to self-doubt to then learning this is just the way it is and it's actually a sign that you're probably doing something really good by preaching and teaching because you're getting challenged you're making a difference in the community in your church and everywhere else so they grow through that and then they become these hardened, tenured soldiers of the cross. And they start to encourage each other that it's okay. This is life in the trench. And to watch that metamorphosis for them is wonderful. But it's also wonderful to watch it for you too, dear Christian. God loves it. When he sees us in a difficult situation because of our faith, if we're reaching out in desperation for him and he gets to save the day. 
Jesus said to the disciples, you're going to have many struggles. You'll be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with, talking about his suffering. Paul went through all these towns and saying, through many trials, you'll enter the kingdom of heaven. God loves to save us, though, and deliver us, and deliver us, and deliver us. In Paul's last letter, he says, God delivered me, delivered me, delivered me. That's a letter to Timothy. And he says, and he will save me and then take me to glory, my last deliverance. I'm going to introduce you to a guy that I just met in, in reading history this last week named Lewis Harms. I don't think many of us would even know of him, but I hope, I hope the name Lewis sticks in your head and you think about this when you go home today. Lewis Harms was a German Lutheran pastor who was born in 1808 and died in the 1860s. He was 57 years old when he went to glory. Lewis Harms grew up a PK, a pastor's kid. And he was a very bright, one of those kids that could read a long poem and then recite it back without looking at it. And he learned Latin in his dad's home and German, of course, and then in another language, I can't remember what it was. And then he went off to college in a, in a secular university in the 1800s in Germany, and he lost his faith. He was taught by professors he really liked who challenged the tenets, the four pillars of the faith, and he said, I don't believe there is a God. And he went through a very dark period. And then one night, he decided to read the scriptures by himself as a young adult. And he read Jesus' words from the high priestly prayer. This is eternal life, that people would know you, Father, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And he came to faith in Jesus as his personal Savior again. And he just wanted to start studying the Bible more and then get involved in studying for ministry. And he went through another several years of just study. And he became a teacher of a Christian school. And then his, and, and, and he was ready to be ordained as a pastor. And he got ordained, but he didn't have a church. And he prayed that God would, in his church life would send him a church. And it took several more years. And then his father said, come and help us back home at the home church. In Hermannsburg, Germany. Anybody been there? I've been to Germany, but I haven't been to even Hamburg. Hamburg's an hour north of Hermannsburg. It's a little village. It was obscure back then. And Daddy was a pastor there. And so this guy, Lewis, went to be there with Daddy. And he started helping Dad with the school and the church that was there. And then seven years later, Dad passed away, and they asked her, Lewis to be their pastor. And it, and, and it had already been started by Father, but it began a revival of missionary activity as Lewis preached with all of his heart. He was great at illustrations, great at preaching, great at teaching, and he led his church to reach the world. And he had many hardships. His biggest hardship was that in his early 20s, he was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. And the only way they had to treat back then was opiates, which would mainly just drugged you up and made you high. It didn't treat the illness at all. And there's no way he could be a concentrated pastor while he's living on opiates, so he wouldn't take them. And he laid awake at night a lot in pain, and he said, I've come, at one point, he said, I've come to the place where at night, even though I'm in pain, it's my opportunity to commune with the Lord with nobody else around and I found peace in just staying awake with God instead of dwelling on my pain. 
He got his church interested in mission work, but they had no missionaries. He had seven little new churches around his that he was also shepherding. And he, they, so they, and he was a prayer warrior, so he got them to pray in prayer meetings that they could find some missionaries that they could train and give their mission zeal to spread the good news to the world. And some sailors came down the river and then crossed land, heard about their little church and the churches around it, and they said, there were 12 of them, and they said, we want to study to be missionaries. They taught them for three years there. Two of them died, and two of them proved unworthy, the writing said. But eight of them were ready, and they said, let's send some, some of our own simple peasants that are part of our congregation with them and we'll colonize a place on another part of the world let's go to africa somewhere and they picked a place on the east side of africa and they had many trouble they didn't know how they were going to get there they didn't have the money to send anybody they had no ship that would take them to that place just to take missionaries to start a church they didn't have the money to pay their passage so they prayed about it and after a year one of the sailors said why don't we just build the ship well that's great how? We have no money and we don't know how to build a ship. Well, let's pray about it. Lewis was big on prayer and not talking about it. And so they prayed and prayed and prayed. And a lady said, I'm going to give my farm to the church. Now start building the ship. A shipbuilder came up and said, I heard about your ideas. And I'm going to help you build the ship. And they built a ship called the Candace. And they sailed six or seven years after the idea was, was born. They sailed 50 people up, up the river and out the sea and around Africa it's actually with the way you're looking and go this way and they came to the southeast side of Africa and they tried to land where they wanted to and the people wouldn't let them land they didn't want Christians settling there white people from Germany and so they moved on down or up the coast and they settled in another place on in what we is today a, a South African place and they said you can stay here and they bought 4,000 acres now the church in with Lewis don't even know what's going on because there's no contact back then. You had to wait and see if the ship came back. Two years they waited. And the ship came back to Hamburg and then ran people down to their little village. Well, I'm going to shorten the story. Lewis died at the age of 57. His brother was his co-pastor, kept going with this. They ended up with a house for, for ex-cons to repatriate into the German society around them. 20-something churches around them in that area of Germany 27-ish churches down there in, in Africa. And by the time the whole mission effort reached the year 50, 24,000 Africans knew the gospel and said amen. Did they have trouble? Absolutely. Was it easy? Absolutely not. Did God deliver them? Yes. What do we do? Pray, trusting He'll deliver us and move forward. Real quickly, not to make you proud or me proud, but to help you be encouraged. This church is a different place in time, but it's got the same potential. Started by our pastor Radloff in 1969 with eight people. We started as a church, nine different churches. This January, we're going to look into Elgin Manor to try to get something started out there for number 10. We've had 19 vicars in training. We've had six men who were members of our church say, I want to go be a pastor who's a mission-minded pastor. We've had four kids that I remember in my time here become teachers. And we've had two 
staff ministers, actually three. We've had one as like an intern, and we've got Chad who turned to staff ministry, and Drew Carter is studying to be a staff minister now. What's going on around this church? We're spreading the word. Is it easy? No. But God is with us. And He wants us to trust that He'll stay with us and it'll keep moving forward and get excited about being alive at this particular time to be a part of it. And I know I've got to hurry up, so let's get to the third point. God says today, as the time is coming to an end on planet Earth, you need to persevere and stay plugged in. Now, I'm ready for that last verse. Let's all read it. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. In that letter, Paul had a lot of stuff he was telling them to do as Christians. And he said, I'm confident you'll do it because you're saying amen. I just want to say to you, all this preaching I'm doing today, I'm confident that you believe it and that you want to do it and that you're going to do better. I'm confident because God is at work. But the second verse is, if you do it, do it for the right reason. I'm praying for you, like Paul, that's, this is a prayer, may the Lord direct your hearts into God's love. You can do the right thing for the wrong reason, and it's like you never did the right thing. I'll give you my favorite example. A mother comes downstairs, boys are at the kitchen table for breakfast, they're both standing up in their chair. Mother says, you're going to fall out and bust your head. Please sit down in your chair. Little brother sits down. Big brother says no. Mother says, you are going to get hurt. Sit down in your chair. No. She comes over firmly but gently, picks him up because he's a little guy, tucks his knees up high, sets him down in the chair and pushes it up to the table and says, now sit there. And she goes further into the kitchen to get their breakfast, their cereal. And the older brother looks at the little brother and he says, I'm still standing up inside. You can do the right thing for the wrong reason, right? It's all about motivation. And that's why Paul, and all the stuff he tells him, he says, if you're going to do it, do it out of the love of God. God's love for me, making me love serving people. That's what it's all about. Do it for the right reason. Enjoy the ride. And then he says, well, may God lead you into Christ's perseverance. Can we just for a second think about Christ's perseverance? I, he says to his disciples, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and they're going to crucify me. And what did Peter say? No, not. Let's don't go there. Never should happen to you. Get behind me, Satan. And then later he says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and they're going to put me to death there. And it says he set his face toward Jerusalem and wouldn't be deterred. Herod says, I'm going to kill that Jesus. Pharisees come tell Jesus, Herod's going to kill you. Go tell that fox today and tomorrow I'll minister and then I'll go to Jerusalem. He never stopped. He stayed on task all the way to the end. Father, forgive them. They don't, don't know what they're doing. He lived his whole life for God and people. He persevered under the load. Peter took out his sword. Let's fight back so Jesus doesn't have to suffer. Peter, how could the Scriptures not be fulfilled that it had to happen this way? Put your sword away. Walking with the Emmaus disciples, did not the Christ have to suffer and then enter into His glory? What did Paul say here? May God direct you into Christ's perseverance. May God tell, direct each of you not to shrink back from suffering for dedicating your life to Christ in the way you serve 
God and country and community and church and family. May you say the hard thing and do the good thing and do it for the right reasons. Dare to talk about Jesus to anyone and everyone and not be afraid. May he give you Christ's perseverance to not stop even though somebody dares to pressure you back but do it in love and gentleness and respect, but continue to share the gospel. May you tell your siblings and your parents that don't really know Jesus, I need to talk to you about something very important. May you give them a Christmas present that also has some word of God with it. May you do His work as Christ would do it, even if it's not easy. One more human being that I want to remind you about because he needs your prayers and you need to be reminded about him. Our pastor, Jim Radloff, who was the pastor assigned to start this church in 1969, is 80 years old. In his retirement, which has been not really a retirement for the last 20 plus years, he's been doing mission work all over the planet and lately in China. He's 80. Good grief, can he not just take a break? Why? Take a break. Might as well die. He's been sharing the gospel now with children. You know the name of it? His ministry, Joyful Children of the World. Some of you are teaching for him, right? You're doing it on the internet, and you're teaching two or three people, and the children, these Chinese children with the internet. He wants more of them to help. He's very sick. He's very sick, and he needs our prayers. But you know what? He's still typing, and when he can't, to encourage this ministry, Joyce, his wife, is doing it for him. Do you know why? Because he's urgent. The gospel, he's got to get out until the last person Jim Radloff can touch before he goes to glory gets touched. Now, Christy, Lewis, and Jim, who are these people? superheroes are they the recruits that God puts down on the playing field and we're all supposed to sit in the stands in our paid-for seat and cheer them on and say go get a touchdown for us Jim no no they're much more than that they're showing me and you how it really can be for us if we stay plugged in there's not a person here, if they're three or 93 or 103, that would ever want to unplug, might as well die. Persevere. Pray trusting God will take care of you and pray that the word will spread. Think of one thing that you can do different or better than you've done in the past to spread the word. Go ahead, Bryant, those verses of Jesus, and we're closing it out. I was in a speech class in college once. I wasn't even studying for the ministry, and he said, preachers lie a lot because they always say I'm about to finish, and I think I'm doing that today. (laughs) That was like 35 years ago, and I remember that guy. His dad was a preacher. Okay, Jesus said these words, and this is how we can get plugged back in. He told a parable of a guy sowing seeds, Word of God, and he said there's four types of soil. This is about the third type. 
He said, it's a soil that has thorns growing in it. I believe that Jesus was describing us Americans. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word of God, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word out, making it unfruitful. I believe this is our problem, dear Americans. We worry a lot about stuff that's not about God's kingdom, and we are deceived by the wealth-driving culture that we live in. Fifteen times this week I heard advertisements about how I needed to save for my retirement. But I didn't hear one outside of my Christian fellowship saying, Spend yourself for Jesus. Have fun and go do it and stay plugged in. Our culture just breathes. Worry about these things. Worry about them. Chase them. Worry them. Chase them. And it chokes out that beautiful gospel that we live for and want to drive forward. So Jesus says, but the seed falling on the good soil refers to someone who hears the word of God and he gets it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding 100, 60, or 30 times what was sown. Jesus doesn't care if you're 30 or 100. He's just saying, stay plugged in. Be fertile soil. And so what this does, and our Savior is the one saying it, is it brings us to repentance. We say, Lord, this is your holy word. Help me, I have sinned. And he says, you're forgiven. Now plug back in. You're vacuuming the floor. and the, I don't know if you're like me, you don't pay attention to how short the cord is. And pow, it comes out of the wall. and You know it because it stops making noise. Just run back and plug it back in. I, you apply this word of God to your own soul. Don't worry about anybody else. Plug back in. Amen.